From WXXI News, this is Unleash the Pet Show on Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Well, you've probably heard about dogs who are trained to detect explosives or illegal drugs. But did you know there are dogs who can sniff out pollution? We're going to go on the job with a couple of dogs working to keep contamination and human bacteria out of the Great Lakes. Plus, Unleashed gives you a chance to ask local veterinarians your questions about your animal's health and behavior. Dr. Michelle Brownstein of Henrietta Animal Hospital is back in studio with us today. So any questions you have about your pets, you can ask. Dr. Brownstein, you can call 1-844-295-TALK. I'll say it again. It's 844-295-8255. If you're in Rochester, you can call 263-WXXI. That's 263-9994. You can tweet your questions or comments to the hashtag Unleashed or to our producer, Megan Mack, at mmackmedia. And uh, I want to mention a couple of things here uh, as we get started here. We're going to dive into actually, we're going to start the hour with a discussion on a very newsy subject, which is the question on animal declawing. And you might have seen earlier this year, late spring into the summer, there was a debate In the legislature, there's legislation that's been proposed that would make it illegal to declaw cats in New York State. And uh, if you grew up with cats and maybe your animals were declawed, maybe they were not. Uh, uh, I grew up with cats uh, in my household and they were declawed. We have cats now and they're not declawed. Uh, But I, I know... Uh, something like a quarter of cats are declawed, uh, domestic cats in this country. But there are countries, many countries, where it is illegal anywhere in that country to declaw a cat. For example, Australia, the UK, many others, Sweden, Switzerland. So we're seeing it state by state. And I'd love to know where you stand on this. If you want to call the program and let us know your feelings on cat declawing, or if you've got questions about it, because I think a lot of people aren't you know, sort of fully informed about the procedure and what it actually entails. And Dr. Brownstein's going to tell us a little bit about that. But you can call the program with comments on that, 844-295-TALK, toll-free, 844-295-8255 or 263-WXXI in Rochester, 263-9994. One more number to give you, and that's this. We had a wonderful morning today on the final day of our fall membership campaign. A very, very important morning because we started off, frankly, very far behind. And now we're close to caught up. We are close to being able to reach our goal, but we only have until the end of this workday. And if you have not called to com- to contribute, to become a member, this is your moment and this is your day. And we want you to call right now, 454-6300. If you're a regular Connections listener, if you appreciate what we do every day from noon to 2, 454-6300. I know you do. You're listening right now. And, and I appreciate that. I know Megan Mack appreciates that. John Andrus, our engineer. So many of, uh, of the staff members who make this possible appreciate that. And if you're not a member, most of the people listening to me right now are not members, about 90%. So there's a lot of you. This is a great moment to do it. It'll take you 90 seconds. And I promise you, on this dreary day, it'll put a hop in your step. You will feel good about what you've done, you'll feel good about your community. You will be, feel good about joining the team. 454-6300, a pledge of any support is appreciated. All right, Dr. Brownstein, how are you? It's nice to see you back here. I'm great, Evan. How are you? I'm Well, uh, I'm great to get in from the rain. I'm thinking about all the animals that are out there today on this maybe the worst weather day of the year. And I always think about our four-legged friends who are outside on days like today. I, I do as well. It's I awful well. out there. It's it's a little damp. It is a little damp. And and I, I mentioned we want to start with this kind of this question on the news. So let me just back up and ask you a question on this. When we use the term declawing, is that too much of a euphemism? Does that not fully describe? I think it is. I think it is. I think most people think that the just the claw is being removed when, in fact, it's the 
just think of it as your fingertips are being amputated. That's what's being amputated in cats to remove the, the final bone that holds the nail. So those are all being amputated. So it's not like trimming or cutting fingernails. Absolutely not. It is amputation. It is an amputation. It's a surgical amputation. Do you declaw? I do not. I stopped declawing 15 years ago. Okay. And why? Because I started to question what was I accomplishing. I was starting to see a lot of cats with aggression problems. I was starting to see a lot of cats with litter box issues. And almost categorically, they were all declawed animals. And a lot of animals that are winding up in animal shelters were also declawed. And in my own household, we went to get new furniture, and I was also concerned about what was going to happen to my furniture. We just simply put soft paws on these cats, and furniture was saved, and no problems, no harm, no foul. So I, I really considered what I was doing more harm than good, and I thought I was doing more harm than good, so I stopped. How many of your colleagues in this area do not declaw? None to my knowledge. You're the only one. I believe I am. Wow. Have you discussed this with your colleagues? I have not. Okay. So you'd be, I know you'd be sort of speculating, but I know you've read a lot of the commentary. For example, this law that has been proposed, and I'm trying to grab, I, I don't know the actual bill number, and guys, I'll try to find it for you. Megan Mack and I will make sure we tweet it. If you want to read about it, we'll, we'll tweet more information. There was a news conference in May, for example, of veterinarians from New York State veterinarians, not necessarily from Rochester, but downstate and other parts of the state, along with sort of celebrity vets like Dr. Marty Becker, kind of nationally known, getting on board saying no more declawing. We should stop this practice. And the question was, what are lawmakers going to do? What do you think they're going to do? In my heart, I hope they'll pass the legislation. In my gut, I think it'll it'll lose in committee, just like it did the last time, because we're facing a very powerful state medical association. And frankly, they have more money to argue to keep this procedure as a viable procedure for veterinarians. The Veterinary Association does not support it, right? They do not support the legislation. So in other words, they support allowing decline. They do. And why do they say that? Um, they, they say, based on myth, they say that um, we need to reserve the opportunity in case there are people that are immunocompromised, in case it comes up where the animal may have to go to a shelter and decline will save its life, which we find kind of, you know, uh, oppose, an opposing uh, thought. Um, I, I purely think that it's a financial financially driven reason to continue on decline because there's a, there's going to be a significant loss in income. I lost income by t- turning people away from decline, and I was willing to accept that. What does it cost to decline? I know it's been a while since you've done it, but w- yeah. w- what do you understand that it would cost? I, the, the, the figures that I have seen are anywhere from add-on to $36 to $150 to usually the cost of a spay-neuter because usually it's done in conjunction with the spay-neuter for the cat. Is it easy to do? Depends on the procedure that you're doing and the way you're doing it. There are multiple ways to do it from using just a simple scalpel blade to mm. disarticulate to old-fashioned nail clippers some vets Ugh. still use to laser. I mean, the end result is still a mutilated cat and with a lot of complications that could um, cause this cat to live a life of pain and misery. Do you have... Um do you have clients who come in with cats and, and ask about it? We do, but we take the time to educate them on what the options are, and the options are simple. Keep the nails trimmed, keep scratching posts, and, of course, we have those nail caps for cats. So uh, there are multiple options. And I'm going back to what the Veterinary Association said to your point about if the, if the option is 
an animal going to a shelter and poten potentially being euthanized versus uh, having this, this amputation and, and hopefully recovering and then living a long, healthy life, why wouldn't we support the latter option? Um, because I think the data that is starting to come in from cities like San Francisco and L.A. that have banned decline are showing a drop, a significant drop in animals that are getting turned over to the to the shelters. Um, you think so, it's an excuse? Yeah. So, okay. 12, 12 to twenty percent reduction in animals being surrendered to shelters. Okay. All right. Well, let me take our first phone call here, and this is Susan in Shortsville. Go ahead, Susan. Hi, uh, I my sister has a cat that she adopted um, from a, hum a shelter that had been declawed, and she has several other cats. This cat has no defense if the others decide to be aggressive. Um, and the way it was explained to her, basically, you're forcing the cat to walk on its knuckles so it's in pain at all times. Mm. They don't. The, there's nerve endings there that. Sure. Um, you know, picture yourself. Picture um, the old Chinese. Uh, custom of um, binding a woman's foot where they folded her foot around onto itself, forcing her to have a tiny foot, but walking on the upper bones. Susan, you, it's the same thing. Susan, it's, that's great. You bring up a really great point about if you want a declawed cat, just go to an animal shelter because there's thousands of beings surrendered every day because of behavioral problems, because of litter box issues, because of aggression, so. And they're in pain all they the time. Are that may be why they don't want to dig in the litter box, because exactly. it hurts. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, Susan, thank you for that phone call. And, and I, I, I want to stress here, and I think Dr. Brownstein agrees here, this is not a case of anyone trying to shame cat owners. There may be people listening to the program now with declawed animals. As I said, I grew up with a couple of Siamese cats in the house. Puying and Friday. Puying, <laughs> well, Puying means girl, by the way, in Thai, um, according to my father, who served over there in the military. Uh, but they were declawed, and um, I, I choose not to declaw now from, from what I've learned and been educated by the likes of you, Dr. Brownstein, and your colleagues. But um, I, I don't think people want to think about, uh, I don't think people want to think that they're mutilating or or permanently injuring their cats. I think people really love their animals, don't you? They do, absolutely, absolutely. But I think they need to know what the options are and what what they're asking for, what they're asking their veterinarian to do to their cat. Let me also stress something here. In about the, the past year since we've been doing Unleashed, whenever this comes up, I want to say just about whenever this comes up. Actually, before the show even starts, we often hear from vets who say, you're not going to bring up declawing, are you? I, I know it's sensitive because people can be emotional about it. And veterinarians who choose to still do it, which is, again, most in this area, maybe Dr. Brownstein is the only one who doesn't, um, I, I'm sure it has been an emotional issue. Megan Mack, our producer extraordinaire, has reached out, reached out to a number of different veterinarians who do still declaw. Um, it was hard to get somebody on the record, even on the phone, for this. And I understand why. Again, I mean, I, I I, I know this can be a, a controversial subject, but but I want to play a, a short soundbite if we could in just a second. So, John, why don't you, if you want, you can grab that phone call because I see the phone buzzing again. Um, but I want to tell you who we're, we're, you're going to hear from in just a second. This is Dr. Dean Snyder. He's a Hilton veterinarian, and he's president of the New York State Veterinary Medical Society. Now, what you're going to hear is what he told our Beth Adams back in January of 2015. So this is last year, and this was about the proposal to ban declawing. And Dr. Dean Snyder is, again, part of the, the group of veterinarians who says, 
they don't support this legislation uh, for a number of reasons. And Beth was asking Dr. Snyder to kind of go into some of the details of the actual surgery. So this is Dr. Dean Snyder and what he told Beth Adams. So what we require or what we recommend is that the veterinarians take the time, talk to the owners, and find out what other things can be done. With many cats, most cats don't need it, first of all. Um, many cats, if the nails are trimmed every one to two weeks, it keeps them short enough where they can go through the um, uh, motions of it but not cause any problems or cause serious problems. Now let me read what he also went on to say that day that we don't have on tape, but I'm going to read the rest of his quote. He says the following, quote, Cats have a main pad, and they have a single pad for each of their digits. When we take that very tip of or sliver of the bone that is mostly nail bed, we don't touch that pad. So when you look at it, you can't tell that anything was done. So when someone describes declawing as being the same as if you cut the end of your finger off, that isn't anywhere near correct. If someone did do that procedure in that manner, that would be cruel and inhumane. I completely agree with that. But we have the finesse to do the procedure, and within two days, the cat is happy and their owner is happy. End quote. Dr. Brownstein? Well, that's all well and good, but that's not the case. And can I put a plug in for a great organization called the Paw Project? It's a great, they have a Facebook, they have a website, they have a film, they have all kinds of articles. In a perfect world, the perfect declaw rarely happens. And a lot of people don't have, for example, laser at their um, at their facility to do a declaw. There's not adequate pain control, and we wind up with infection. We wind up with lost bone. It's not just a sliver of bone. Again, think about it as the tip of your finger. Um, we wind up with infection. We wind up with bone being left behind. We wind up with chronic pain, um, all kinds of um, complications. So does that disappoint you to hear yeah, it does. him say that? Yeah, it does. Because you think that's misleading? I do. Okay. I do. Um, here's what I want to do. Um, I, I see... John in Pittsburgh, I'm going to come to you after our, our short break. I'm a little late for our first break, um, and, and it's a quick one, and we're going to come back to your phone calls and some of your comments about declawing. And let me just also remind you, that's not the only focus for the hour. Dr. Brownstein's here. Uh, she's passionate about this subject, and I think a lot of people admire her for, for taking a stand in, in her field. Are you in trouble? Is that I'm what you're going to lose my license? No, <laughs> lose your license. No, I'm just. I, I certainly no. don't think so. Uh, but uh, and, and in fact, a lot of pet owners are on your side, obviously. But um, but no, wherever you are in this, if you've got questions on that, or let me remind you, questions or comments about your pet's general health, dogs, cats, uh, you want to call. And Dr. Brownstein's here and, and can answer your questions. 844-295-TALK, toll-free, 844-295-8255, or 263-WXXI if you're in Rochester, 263-9994. Unleashed is right back. Major funding for Unleashed, the Pet Show on Connections comes from Rufus Kendig, the Richard T. Bell Foundation, and from the Lilliputian Foundation. Little grants making a big difference. And All Cats Care Center, a full-service feline veterinary hospital offering medical and surgical care and boarding. All Cats Care Center, where cats come first. More online at allcatscarecenter.com. Welcome back to Unleash the Pet Show on Connections. It's the third Friday of the month and the first hour of the third Friday. We allow you to interact with local veterinarians and get your questions and comments answered. And Dr. Michelle Brownstein is here from Henrietta Animal Hospital in studio with us today. John in Pittsford on the phone. Go ahead, John. Hi. I just read an article in the October Smithsonian entitled A Plague of House Cats. 
and it describes the house cat, American house cat, as one of the world's most devastating invasive species. A cattle, the American cats kill as many as 3.7 billion birds a year, and they're uh, apparently a threat to uh, any number of endangered species because they are such efficient hunters and killers. Um, I'm wondering if the declawing might help the environment. John, thanks for the phone call. It's an interesting question. Dr. Brownstein? No, um, and it's a valid point um, that outside cats do devastate wild bird population. But if you decline animal and then you release it to the outside, you've released the defenseless animal. So, and the cat that is declawed that goes outside can no longer climb a tree to get away. It can't defend itself with claws. So that animal has become a sitting duck to other predators. So it goes back to the issue that the domestic cat is an inside animal. They should not be let outside unless they're being supervised on a leash or in an enclosed cat enclosure. Okay, so you prefer if people have cats, they keep indoors. Absolutely. The, the data is there. They live longer. They get into less trouble. Outside cats have a shorter lifespan, are more su- subjected to disease, injury, etc. Okay, but John's point on what he's reading in that right. article uh, is correct. That's true. Yeah. That is true. I totally agree with that. John, anything to follow up with there? No, I just I'm, yeah, that, that's my concern more than the declawing of the cat. Sure. That, that the vast devastation the cats are doing to the habitat. They just need to stay. In, they just need to stay inside. Yeah, but they don't. Well, <laughs> that's the problem. Well, They're not inside at all. No, no, John, and, and thanks for the phone call. I take the point. I think what Dr. Brownstein's saying is, you know, responsible responsible pet owners. She would like them to keep the cats indoors. Bruce and Arondequoit, Next up, go ahead, Bruce. I'm asking, in uh, the statement that she said, are you saying in 100% of the cases of cat decline that there's always this pain and, and suffering that you're talking about? There's no way to do it effectively and ethically. I don't believe so. I don't believe so. In spite of laser, in spite of better pain control, I think the vast majority of cats are condemned to a life of misery and pain. So this is a personal opinion, not a medical I think, fact. I think we have a lot of data to support. I, again, go to the PAW project, project for more information on statistics, on the number of cats that come back that are surrendered to shelters because of behavioral problems. It's staggering. I can't say 100%, but it's high. We've always had our cats to call and have never had a problem. We've had numbers of cats. So yeah. whether that cat was was having a problem because it was declawed or because the owners were not aware of how to handle their cat, I mean, the fact that they came back and happened to be declawed is not, uh, you know, correlation is not, you know, causation. The fact that they came back and happened to be declawed doesn't mean that they came to but, the shelter because but the question, they were declawed. The question is, why are you declawing your cats? It keeps them from scratching, keeps them from scratching people objects well um in my whole household i have four cats um they have scratching posts we trim their nails on a routine basis and we've also when we've bought new furniture we've put nail caps on them and everybody is talking about trimming their nails every couple of weeks you're talking about doing that yourself or taking that in professionally either either or my cats, uh, my cats need need a little helping hand. I I'm not that great at trimming nails by myself, so my cats. I, will... I love my animals, and if I thought there was really any cause for concern, I certainly wouldn't 
wouldn't, you know, put them through it. But, you know, if somebody has, there's lies, damn lies in statistics. So if this is an anti-decline, then they're certainly going to look for the numbers that point out their point of view. So I wouldn't necessarily take them as gospel on it. Uh, well, Bruce, let me just say, and, and uh, I want to get to some other phone calls. Uh, thank you for the call, Bruce. And I, w- I want to kind of extend on what Bruce is asking with a question for you, Dr. Brownstein. Mm-hmm. Bruce is mentioning the fact that he's had cats, his cats have been to Claude, and they have been, you know, in his experience, happy animals, right? I mentioned our cats growing up were to Claude, and they never exhibited anything that looked to me like discomfort or pain. So are you saying that they could have pain or discomfort and they're not showing Absolutely. it? Absolutely. We know for a fact that cats are masters of hiding pain. And that's not necessarily with the declaw, whether they have an abdominal issue, whether they have another joint issue, they are masters at hiding pain. But even and with a declaw? Even with a declaw. Over those 10, cats, 15 years? Absolutely. Those cats may not be jumping as high. They may not be jumping down because of the pain that they feel on impact. There are all kinds of subtle things that you're not aware of that may be going on. Okay, let me get to Bob and Lyons next up. Go ahead, Bob. Uh, just wanted to throw out that there is at least one other vet in the area that does not declaw. That would be Palmyra Animal Hospital. Palmyra Animal Hospital. Yep. Okay. Uh, is, is that a place that you go to? Uh, I'm switching to them, yes. Okay, okay. Um, and do you have an opinion on the subject, Bob? Oh, yeah. I've owned maybe, I don't know, 15 or 20 cats in my lifetime. I would never, ever declaw a cat. Well, Bob, thanks for that, that data point. I was not aware. Were you aware of Palmyra? I was not. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, thank you. Caitlin in Fairport also wants to weigh in. Go ahead, Caitlin. Hello. I just wanted to call as a, I'm actually, I'm a new graduate veterinarian, but I also worked as a vet tech and before that uh, as an adoptions and admissions counselor for a high-volume shelter. And I just wanted to speak in, in support of Dr. Brownstein and everything that she's saying. Thank you so much. That's from my own experience. Thank you much. Con- congratulations <laughs> seen, on your, congratulations on your seen, graduation. Um, oh, thank you. Um, just as an adoption counselor and admissions counselor at a, a high-volume shelter, I've seen a lot of the Claude cats come in, brought in because of behavioral problems like Dr. Brownstein is describing aggression and house soiling and um, not using the litter box, but also, and then as a vet tech, um, I actually worked in hospitals where decals were done and saw how much pain these cats are in after the surgery, even with good pain management. And I truly believe that if owners had to see the procedure done and then watch what their cats go through immediately afterwards, that no one would ever declaw. Well, Caitlin, thank you for that. And on that subject, uh, thanks very much for the phone call there. Uh, here's Audrey on Twitter saying, I work at a shelter and declawed cats have more behavior problems. They often become biters and start house soiling, and this is why they're often surrendered. And I go back to Bruce's question, Dr. Brownstein. Um, Bruce called from Arondacoit on, on cats, and he's wondering, is correlation causation? Are, are we certain that declawing can lead to behavior problems? I think... <laughs> Yes, I, I think there's no there's no denying it based on these people that are calling from the shelters. You know, when we don't declaw again, back to San Francisco and Los Angeles, yep. they're seeing a drop in surrenders to shelters. Um, and again, we talk about causation correlation. Uh, you know, the, the the dynamics are there. You know. Okay, um, Janice on Twitter wants to know. Uh, I wonder about cropping ears and tails of dog breeds such as boxers, although maybe that's not as painful as decline. Absolutely, I'm. I never. I never wanted to learn how to crop ears and tails. 
Um, I e- think it's equally as barbaric, and I think we should ban that as well. Oh, interesting. So. Okay, thank you, Janice. Uh, Becky on Twitter says decline should be. She applauds Dr. Brownstein. Uh, Jake says uh, years ago, in ignorance, he declawed his cats. He says he found it to be a horrific mistake. Uh, here's another vote of confidence for declawing. Just a lot of support for this. Uh, Barbara writes, we would like to start traveling with our cats. We have a camper, and we go away for up to a month. I've got two cats, one two years old and the other six years old. Uh, they do go out in our yard, which is fenced, and we have electric collars, which work very well. They are fast learners and do not get out of the yard. I'm trying to leash train them, and I'm open to other suggestions to get them used to traveling. I do not want to lock them in the camper all the time. I would never leave them out unsupervised. And just to let you know, I would never declaw. So that's from Barbara. What would you tell her? So what what is your question? How to get these cats adapted to traveling? Yeah, I think that's what she's I'd asking. I'd put them in the camper for five 10 minutes and go increasing amounts, um, eventually starting to back out of the driveway, slow trips around the block, and gradually lengthening your number of trips and get them adapted to using the litter box in the camper. I think it's a very doable situation. Cats can travel very well. Disa writes to us and says, I'm avidly against declawing cats, and I've been fortunate to adopt mostly older cats who are used to having their nails trimmed. However, I just adopted a five-month-old kitten who hasn't done it in the past, and I'm hoping for some advice on how to acclimate a kitten to having nails clipped. It's all about positive reinforcement. Less is better. So if you start the kitten and clip one nail, positively reinforce that kitten. If you can get two done, great. And then call it a day. You don't want it to escalate to where it's um, you're trying to brute the animal. And this applies for dogs as well. Don't let it escalate into a battle, and you'll get much further with positive reinforcement. And food works really well for cats as well. All right, just uh, just to kind of get you caught up here, and, and our thanks to producer Megan Mack for digging a lot of information up for me. As is often the case here, by the way, Megan Mack is really the heart and soul of this broadcast. And here's this piece of legislation, the Senate Bill 5084, if you want to check it out. In the Assembly, it's 1297. So Senate Bill 5084, Assembly Bill 1297, and that would be the bill that would outlaw, I guess it's uh, onychectomy? How do you pronounce it? Onychectomy? It's a decline. Decline. But onychectomy actually doesn't. Uh, describe medically declawing, that's an actual term for an amputation. It is. It's an amputation. So which goes back to what Dr. Brownstein is saying in terms of what the actual procedure is. It's not trimming a nail. There is an amputation involved. Katrina in Branchport next up. Go ahead, Katrina. How you doing? Um, I am a veterinarian that uh, actually does declaws. Okay. Um, However, we don't do them very often, probably for a year. And we have very stringent... um, kind of guidelines to go by. We don't, um, first of all, the owner gets pretty heavily counseled um, because destroying furniture is just not enough for us. Um, but if we've got immunocompromised individuals, elderly people, that sort of thing, then, you know, if, we, if they've exhausted all their other options and we've tried the soft pause, um, then we'll go forward. However, there's no negotiating on how it's done for us. Um, all animals get pre-anesthetic lab work um, for the procedure itself. They get a... Uh, they get a local block um, before anything even starts, so we block the pain perception to the feet before, and we use a CO2 laser to disarticulate, meaning take apart at the joint, um, the last uh, little bone. And so, um, and then during the procedure, they have a what's called a CRI, which is a constant rate infusion with um, hydromorphone and ketamine. 
Um, so what we're effectively doing is preventing pain from happening in the first place or preventing the, the pain pathway from being activated um, before we even do anything painful. And during um, the procedure itself, while they're under anesthesia, they also get a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, both um, intraoperatively and postoperatively. And, um, and they go home with um, a week to two weeks worth of um, uh, uh, an opioid pain medication for the owners to give. And we've had really um, awesome postoperative outcomes with all of the kitties. Um, they all are pretty darn um, happy afterwards and walking on their feet. And we don't even have any issue with them looking at them. Um, but we also don't want to be doing like 10-year-old cats or anything. We won't do that. But um, they have to be youngsters. And again, it has to be there has to be some level of counseling ahead of time. But we, I, I just... With the CO2 laser, we've had very good outcomes, and I wouldn't do it any other way um, now that I've done them this way. All right, Katrina, so, well, first of all, if you can hang there for just a second. Dr. Brownstein, you want to respond to yeah, some of that? No, I just want to applaud her for, for, for you know, uh, the counseling and all of, uh, uh, all of that initiative and the, you know, preoperative lab work and pre-medication and all of that. That's, that's outstanding. But are you aware that there are various organizations, including the C- CDC, that advise that decline is not necessary, particularly in association with, like, HIV patients. There are a couple articles that I do have available, and I'd be glad to share you with, share those with you. So yeah, it's no, not, absolutely. It's not an automatic... I am, I, I am aware I am aware of those, and I appreciate where you're coming from, definitely. Um, but my feeling is if, if I've counseled them and they are aware of what's going on, of the procedure and, and, and the potential complications and all that, um, I would hate to have them go somewhere else and not have it done the way I do it and the way our clinic does it. Um, because that would, then I would, I would feel worse about that because oftentimes clients are going to do what they, I'm sure, you know, they're going to, if they want something done, they're going to have it done. And I at least know that if they have it done at our clinic, that I can control how it's done. And I know it can go, that we can do it well, you know? It can, but what about those that it doesn't go well on? And we know that happens regard, again, regardless of the technique, regardless of the pain control, complications do happen and you know I know from my own my own situation I didn't necessarily see these animals back we'd call see what how how um, fluffy is doing oh we sent fluffy to the shelter and it's like what oh yeah she wasn't using the litter box and it's like we didn't necessarily hear about that so you know how do you know that that's not happening I'm sure, I mean, we do lose animals to follow up, but these, uh, the vast majority of them are clients of ours. And so when they come back in for their two week follow up checkup, um, and we ask them how things are going and, um, how their pets behaving, um, we've got positive feedback. Um, and in the room, typically they're, um, they're purring and rubbing all over us and not all of them, but, but a lot of them are even like that immediately post-op. We're just really pleased with the, with the outcomes, I guess, that we're getting, like I said, but this is specific to the CO2 laser um, procedure. Well, Katrina, I, I want to thank you for calling the program and, and sharing us your insight, because I think what it reminds us, as Dr. Brownstein said, was uh, there are, and thank you, Katrina, there are multiple 
kinds of procedures for this. And it does sound like, as you mentioned, that if you're going to do this, this is about as thoughtful a way as you can do it. Best you can do. Yeah. Thank you, Katrina, for that. Uh, One other quick uh, listener question, and then maybe for the rest of the hour, we'll get off to clawing and (laughs) things to talk about. Uh, But um, I I, I lied. Two more. David writes and says, I don't declaw, but I've adopted two that were declawed. One is still alive, 16 years old, and jumps higher than our three-year-old, and there's no behavior issues. Are we just lucky? You were just lucky. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And Mary says... I'd like to give the veterinarian a hug. I'm standing here and applauding. Thank you so much for this program, and thank you for discussing what can be a difficult discussion for veterinarians. So that's from Mary. Thank you, Mary. Very nice. Uh, Dr. Michelle Brownstein's with us, and let's get our only break of the hour. We're going to come back, and you know how dogs can can, are, are trained to detect bombs or drugs. There's something else that they can detect that might surprise you, and we're going to have that report coming up. And any other questions you've got in general, pet questions, health, etc. You can call the program and we'll get those questions answered for you with Dr. Michelle Brownstein. 844-295-TALK, toll free, 844-295-8255 or 263-WXXI if you're in Rochester, 263-9994. We're right back. Coming up in our second hour, it's Second Opinion Live and we're talking about good bugs and bad bugs, not bed bugs. We're talking about bacteria in our bodies. And we're talking about the problems bacteria in our bodies can cause, but also the good things about them as well. Dr. Shazad Mustafa is here, and we're going to be taking your calls and questions as bacteria relates to our health, allergies, and more. That's next hour. This is WXXI AM Rochester, WRUR FM and HD Rochester, WEOS FM and HD Geneva, and WXXI FM HD2 Rochester. Support for your public radio station comes from our members and from All Cats Care Center, a full-service feline veterinary hospital offering medical and surgical care and boarding. All Cats Care Center, where cats come first. More online at allcatscarecenter.com. And the financial advisors of the Sartini Group at Morgan Stanley, 585-987-6053. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. Hi, welcome back to Unleash the Pet Show. We'll do a little housekeeping here. Our engineer, John Andrus, is grabbing a couple of your phone calls. And while we do that, I want to tell you of of a couple of things that are coming up here. Uh, a couple of upcoming pet-related events. In partnership with Lollipop Farm, WXXI is hosting an NPR Generation Listen event. It's an unleashed listening party, and it's scheduled for next Wednesday. That's the 26th from 6 to 8 p.m. at Lollipop Farm in Fairport. Beth Adams is going to be there to moderate the discussion as you listen to podcasts like Unleashed and This American Life with pieces that celebrate the animal-human bond. It's free to attend. You can RSVP on Facebook or at WXXI.org slash events. Pet-assisted therapy dogs will be there for attendees to meet and interact with if you like. Beth's going to be there. I don't know anybody who loves animals more than Beth Adams. Uh, she's got the biggest heart, and she's going to be out there. So if you love your animals and you, you want to go out and just kind of socialize, but I will also tell you, if you haven't been to a WXXI or an NPR Generation Listen event, they're a lot of fun because you don't just go and sit and listen to podcasts for two hours. You'll listen to kind of a short burst, you know, five-minute segment, a 12-minute segment, and then you got to get a chance to react and discuss them with people who uh, probably have similar passions or interests to you. It is a lot of fun. 
fun. Uh, obviously, Lollipop Farm is a lot of place a lot of people like to go out and see the animals. So Beth's going to be there at 6 to 8 p.m. next Wednesday. That's the 26th. Also, want to let you know there's no fee. There's a no-fee pet adoption event this Saturday from 11 to 4 at the Rochester Animal Services Center. That's at 184 Verona Street. Uh, you can be sure to bring a collar and leash uh, or a pet carrier to ensure that pets can leave on the scheduled release date and be transported to their new homes safely. So that's 11 to 4 on Saturday at the Rochester Animal Services Center on, uh, on Verona Street. Okay, I want to tell you about something else going on because... Dr. Brownstein, did you know we were just going to be bogged down by declawing? I'm just amazed. I'm just <laughs> amazed. You know, uh, but actually, I, I told her I'm not surprised just because I know how passionate people have been with this. And I still, I see the phone still ringing, and we're going to get back to your calls here uh, as soon as we can. But there's something else I want to tell you about. So, John Andrus, we'll get ready for our next segment here. Now, leaky sewers and septic tanks send bacteria into the Great Lakes each summer, forcing beaches to close temporarily. And to find the problem pipe, some cities and towns are getting help from man's best friend. WMUK's Rebecca Thiel reports for Great Lakes Today from the shores of Lake Michigan. In the town of Bridgman, Michigan, investigators Sable and Kenna sniff samples from stormwater drains near a beach. Sable is a 10-year-old German shepherd. Kenna, a golden retriever, is two. And if they smell any contamination um, that indicates human source bacteria, then they will give an alert. Karen Reynolds founded Environmental Canine Services seven years ago with her husband, an environmental scientist. Sable barks when he smells that and Kenna will sit. Today, the dogs are following a creek along the railroad tracks. Several area beaches have had problems with pollution and they're looking for the source. Oh. She looks very interested. She's, look, she's, she's uh, oh, tasting yeah, she's the scent. Them, yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Peg Coring yeah, is yep. the Midwest director of the Conservation Midwest. Fund, an environmental nonprofit. This is her third time working with the dogs. She says they find things that people can't. I've walked those creeks many times looking, didn't see anything, and then this dog, Sable, just came and nailed it, found that pipe under all these leaves. So it's faster, it's much cheaper than water sampling. We can go right to the source of the problem. Reynolds says regular water testing is still important, but she says the dogs can point scientists in the right direction especially when there are two storm drains like these. So traditional methods, we would have had to grab a sample from both, send it to the lab. It would take about 24 hours to get E. coli results back. Then you'd have to come back out and then start tracing it upstream that way. Now we just did it all in a matter of minutes. On this trip to Bridgman, Coring says the dogs found whole sewer lines that had been dissolved by sewer gas. The team also discovered that some sewer lift stations, which pump wastewater, were leaking sewage into nearby creeks. The EPA has approved the use of the dogs for past projects in Michigan and Wisconsin. Of course, this method isn't perfect. Environmental microbiologist Patricia Holden of the University of California, Santa Barbara, conducted a study on the dogs two years ago. Overall, Holden says the dogs were accurate. But there were a couple of times where they would alert when there was no sewage. Holden says the dogs were also trained to smell detergents, and that could have thrown them off. 
It could very well be that that detergent was also in the environment because of other activities unrelated to leaking sewer pipes or other ways in which sewage could enter the environment. Reynolds' company started in Michigan, but now is based in Maine. It has teams on both coasts, as well as the Midwest. Altogether, they have six dogs. And they don't mind the work, she says. Oh, there we go. Oh, that was, she was trying to sit. She's trying to sit. Can I check it? They just love it. It's, it's like any scenting dog that you train. The goal is to make it a game for them to where it is the most fun thing that they do. And they, they always get a reward of a treat or a, you know, a squeaky ball or whatever it is. So they love it. Reporting for Great Lakes Today, I'm Rebecca Thiel with WMUK. And again, that story comes to you from Great Lakes Today, which is a collaboration of WBFO Buffalo, IdeaStream Cleveland, and WXXI. For more stories, go to greatlakestoday.org. Love the work they're doing. And by the way, the company featured in the story, Environmental Canine Services, the first company in the world to specialize in using dogs to detect human sewage contamination in water, and its dogs have worked in many states. New York is not one of them yet. We shall see. And Dr. Brownstein, dogs are amazing with what they can find, isn't it? It just amazes me. It just amazes me what they're able to do. The medical, sometimes, you know, you hear dogs who Cancer are... Cancer sniffing. Uh, it's seizures. I mean, it's just really, really remarkable what dogs are able to do. And speaking of dogs, we've got a caller with a question about one of her dogs. This is Shelly in Rochester. Go ahead, Shelly. Hi, um, I'm calling about my dog. He's uh, 14, almost 15, and he has all these, like, old man lumps. So they're, like, that's what I call them. They're, like, fatty deposits. Um, And one of them on his wrist, he's, like, licked away the fur. And so there's, like, I don't know. I can see, like, his skin, and it looks, like, all raw. And I was just wondering if there's anything I can do to get him to stop licking it. I've taken him to the vet a couple times, but they just do the tests and say that they're nothing so well we need to determine what kind of lump that is and if it can't i i usually uh use criteria for removing lumps in older dogs if they're malignant if they're causing mechanical interference and it sounds like this is uncomfortable for your dog so we need to find out whether it's a benign or harmless lesion or whether it's something that's malignant and if so could it be approached surgically I mean, would you suggest surgery for him since he's so old? Age is not a reason not to pursue surgery in a pet. As long as your pet is in good health, checks out with the heart and the lungs and and all of that. He did have a heart murmur before. Well, again. He has the lumps, like, all over his body. They said that they're just, like, fatty tumors. Fatty tumors, if they're not interfering with him. But this one sounds like it's causing some discomfort. So, again, age is not a, does not prevent me from going ahead to do surgery to make a pet more comfortable. Okay, so I should take th- to the vet then? Absolutely. Okay. Good luck. Thank you. Yeah, Shelly, thanks for the phone call and good luck to you. It's, you know, it's, it's tougher when animals get old. We've got some animals in our friends and family, and they even get gray just like we do, they don't do. they? They do. I've got a friend, <laughs> Dr. Brownstein, to, hey, I've got some salt and pepper going on too. Uh, we have friends who have a, a black pug and uh, Pugsley. And shout out to you, Pugsley. He's still hanging in there. A little bit, little bit of gray, but that's normal, yeah, that's right? That's okay. Yeah. 
There you go. Nothing wrong with Distinguished. that. Distinguished. Uh, a couple of uh, things here before we get back to your phone calls. Robin from Pittsford called. Just wanted to say off air. Just wanted to thank you for your devotion to being truly kind to animals. Thank you, Robin. Um, she says she works in the medical profession, and uh, and she said she just wanted to express that she appreciates that. Thank you. you. Um, let me get back to the phones and L in the city of Rochester. Go ahead, L. Hi, I wanted to call about the cat. Um, I had a sister that had a staph infection. Her cat was a scratcher and like a biter. So I went to the vet thinking I should get it to Claude to make sure my sister wouldn't get another infection. She loves her cat. And I asked about the uh, things to put on the, the cover of the claws, but she said they would come off more. But in the end... Um, to change the cat's behavior, all I had to do, and if I gave me the idea, I just sprayed water when the cat went to scratch or bite. And honest to God, in a week and a half, this was the nicest cat. And this has been going on now four months. Everything changed, and the cat, I guess maybe they want to be, maybe they want to be trained. I don't know. But um, that's all I had to do was spray it a few times. Now the cat will sit on her lap. It will purr. When I go in, it's waiting for me. When I go to visit her, it's waiting for me to scratch stomach so all it was was spray spray with a water bottle that's all you had to do and the vet said sometimes you can do this with a dog too so that was really interesting to know so i just wanted to share that thank you thank you el okay, okay, okay. yeah th- thanks <laughs> it's a happy ending thanks for the story Jeannie writes to the program and says evan the subject of cat declawing is a timely subject my fifth grade son's first lego league has chosen this subject as their presentation in the first Lego League Animal Allies subject matter this year. And I'm going to let them know about this program so they can listen to the podcast. Thank you, Jeannie. Uh, the podcasts are always available at wxxinews.org slash connections. Every hour of the program, you can listen to every hour there. It's usually posted the, uh, in the afternoon after the show's over. And Megan Mack and I always put together Weekend Connections, the podcast, which is sort of a summation of the week. That's a new podcast, roughly 20 minutes long, posts every Friday afternoon, perfect for your treadmill or your ride on the weekend or maybe a cup of coffee and relax on, on a Saturday or Sunday morning. So uh, I hope you look for that as well. Back to your phone calls. Rhonda Quaid, this is Nathan. Go ahead, Nathan. Hi, Evan. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, we just uh, lost our cat uh, on Monday. And, I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, our dog, who they were never, I would call them, I wouldn't call them friends, I would say they were friendly. Um, it has, you know, he hasn't really been eating, um, and he's barking a lot more than he, he normally does. I didn't know uh, if there was some behavioral... Um, I know that when, when animals lose a companion, that they can um, mourn or grieve in, in some way, but they, I w- wouldn't really call them companions. They met um, later in their lives together, so... Well, Nathan, you and a, or Dr. Brownstein, I don't know if there's a question or a comment for the doctor. Is there a question? I mean, uh, yeah, you, the, the question do- is, is, is a normal behavior for, for the dog um, to kind of have these hmm. sort of change in, in attitude? I, I think uh, they're capable of grief in, in their own way. I mean, we're just beginning to understand the level of sentience among different species of animals. I mean, just some of the YouTube videos that I've seen about interaction with animals is just astounding. So I think your dog really is mourning in its own way, 
but it probably wouldn't hurt to have it evaluated by your veterinarian to make sure there's sure. nothing else going on that's just coincidental. So Okay. 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 Yeah, Sorry great. about you your kitty. Much. Bye-bye. Thank you, Nathan. Thanks for the phone call. Mike in Caledonia, going to try to keep it moving down to our last two minutes. Go ahead, Mike. Yes, hi. Uh, I have a six-month-old puppy who's going into spaying on Monday, and she has dual claws on her hind legs that my vet says are loose. And I'm wondering, do you suggest having them removed? I do, because, number one, they have very little advantage to keeping those on, and they're more likely to get caught, ripped, torn in some kind of trauma. So take them off easy, easy peasy. Will it be very painful for her? No, no. no? And she okay. should go home with pain medication anyways because of the spay. Yeah, she will. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much. Good luck. Thank you, Mike. Uh, thanks for the phone call. As we get ready to wrap up here, I'm going to remind you that if you... Uh, had an interest in the discussion on the laws about cat declawing. I learned a lot today, not only by listening to Dr. Brownstein, but some of the research that Megan Mack pulled together. I, I was not aware, for example, that declawing animals, cats included, is uh, banned in many countries in the world. Australia, Austria, Brazil, Croatia, Germany, Ireland, New Zealand, Norway, Sweden, Switzerland, the UK. And now, as Dr. Brownstein mentioned, a number of American cities, most of them in California, but we're starting to see more states consider it. So there are uh, bills in the New York State Senate and Assembly. In the in the Senate, it's at, uh, 5084, 5084, and in the Assembly, it's 1297. If you want to look them up, they would ban onychectomy, which is uh, the the amputation process that leads to the declawing of cats. You have a number of veterinarians supporting it, but you have the veterinary associations uh, essentially standing against it, saying that they think there is still a purpose for declawing. Dr. Brownstein, I think, is to be admired for speaking publicly about it. And I don't say that as someone who's taking a side in this, even though, I've, as I mentioned, we've got cats and they're not declawed. I say this because I know from my own experience in talking to vets for this program that most don't want to talk publicly about it because it's so emotional. And I just want to thank you for being willing to do that. We have a, a countless pile of emails and tweets, and you, you heard it from the callers, who admire you and appreciate the fact that you're at least willing to discuss it, because I know it can be tough. So thank you for that. Thanks, Evan. Thanks for having me. And you heard uh, from our listeners as well. They had great questions, not only on cats, but also on their dogs. And we try to do that for you every third Friday with Unleashed. So our thanks to Dr. Michelle Brownstein. You can find her at Henrietta Animal Hospital. You can also let us know what you think about Unleashed by tweeting us at the hashtag Unleashed or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Unleashed Pet Show. And if you have a story about your pet or animal that you think would make for a good segment here, maybe about service animals, heroics, second chances, and more, you can email the idea to unleashed at wxxi.org. One other quick mention. We are still in the middle of our last day of the fall membership campaign. And if you like what you hear on this broadcast, 454-6300 to send your pledge of support. We're right back with Second Opinion Live.